Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 116. It is a rainy, shitty Sunday. <laughs> you may actually, since I've screwed around with uh, the board a little bit, uh, hear the sounds of rain pitter-pattering outside the Crisis on Infinite Midlife studio and or... Thunder. Thunder, perhaps. Uh, the the gentle twitch as 50,000 volts goes straight through my head through these headphones. The screaming of the cat upstairs. Yeah, that's exciting. Let's let's be around all this electrical equipment in the middle of a lightning storm. I used to do radio with much more electrical equipment <laughs> in much bigger storms with a much bigger antenna on the roof. And look how well, fucking... Well, who's a big man? And look how fucking good I turned out. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly don't have brain damage. <laughs> who's asking? Where are my pants? Uh, you never know where your pants are, honey. It's one of the things that's adorable. Uh, I, I know exactly where they are. They're upstairs. <laughs> uh, so, yes. That one final update in the <laughs> the major university saga. They finally came forward with an offer, which uh, for a major university that supposedly has a great deal of money uh, was light. <laughs> so, uh, I... Unfortunately, my dalliance with major university, I believe, has come to an end. Unless they want to add... Uh, a zero. <laughs> it, it would almost take a zero. It was, a, it was not an unfair offer, but uh, it was pretty much a lateral move to the job I just quit mm. uh, with a much longer drive. Yeah, that's no so, good. That's no good. And without even the major university campus to stroll across like I know shit. Yeah. No, it's an office building near the fucking Fenway. <laughs> so... That's the end of that saga. Oh, well. I wanted to get it out of the way because the first thing on the list to talk about this week is, and I, I really, I, I don't want to keep beating on Watchmen characters being ram-fed into the DC universe. I don't want to, because number one, it's I don't want to beat a dead horse, but also none of them showed up in this week's DC Rebirth books, and the plan this week is we're going to talk about all of them. We're not going to do that every week because I don't think I could fucking stand it based on at least a couple of these four. Right. But... I, I want to talk about the Watchmen thing again a little bit, mostly because I feel it's a sign of the decline of Western civilization as we know it. <laughs> it makes me want to start investigating books that don't have any pictures in them. Oh my god! Which is new for me. I don't understand what that's like. Whoa! Um, Wait, is that why I found like an honest to god chapter book in the bathroom today? Uh, yes, that wasn't one of mine. Yeah, it wasn't even like the Tiger first grade <laughs> primer and shit. <laughs> They had real words. Oh, my God. I mean, I only picked it up because the cover blurb said it was like Mad Max meets Chinatown. I'm like, go on. <laughs> Can't you put it into a movie and show it to me or a comic or something? But all right, I'll try this on the toilet. I'm trapped here anyway. Because <laughs> we tape this on Sundays, which means on Sunday mornings, it's after Saturday night. I'm trapped in there for quite a while <laughs> after Saturday nights. Thanks for telling the world that. And I have pictures. I don't. <laughs> Nope. Yeah, nope. no, we're, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Plus, you know, we've established on this show, I don't like to talk about politics or religion or shit like that, so I need something to fucking yeah, just shit. rant about when I've been <laughs> drinking. And uh, already started the drinking. Berkshire Brewing Company, Steel Rail Pale <laughs> Where's my fucking check? We're giving you this free press, guys, every week. It's Ugh. the same, same place that the major university money is. God damn it! I knew they were in coots. <laughs> so... The, the first thing I want to bring up uh, with the Watchmen DC rebirth thing in mind is uh, last week during the show, 
we made some comments about how we wanted listeners to like design us t-shirts with like if the comedian's the joker we riot and, and maybe <laughs> And maybe draw us pictures of like Dr. Manhattan blowing up Dan DiDio's head like a rotten grapefruit under an industrial press. You've thought a long, hard lot about that visual. I, I really have. <laughs> it's, and, and the thing is, historically, I like Dan, but he's, he's, he, he vexes me. He vexes me, and I shall have him. Vexes is a good word. <laughs> but, I mean, we say shit like that sometimes on the show, securing the knowledge that nobody's probably fucking listening to this filthy little show. Except that, no, people actually have been. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, we, we don't even tell our families that this show exists. Oh, God, there, no. There are inheritances in, in play. We don't want to fuck with those. <laughs> But uh, yeah, last week, uh, listener uh, John Owen hooked up with us on Facebook and sent it. He didn't just send us like a sketch or like a stick figure battle. He did a fucking three dimensional Lego tableau. <laughs> Not only of Dr. Manhattan attacking Dan DeDio and blowing him into his component parts, <laughs> but it was also Batman shoving the pin back into the comedian's hands and telling him to fuck off out of the DC universe. <laughs> It was glorious. It's, Thank yeah, you, John. <laughs> we were psyched to see it, and it's it, it was really cool, um, and it's a decent excuse to remind you that we are actually on Facebook. We are. We've been making a concerted effort to be more active there, so yeah, come and check out our Facebook page to take a look at that. Uh, it's facebook.com slash crisis on infinite midlives. And while you're there, give us a like. And take a look at John's cool picture. <laughs> yeah. Or if there's a button indicating that you don't actively want to kill us, you can press that one instead. I'm not greedy. <laughs> I mean, is there an indifferent button? I'm just, a meh button? We're just we're just so goddamn lonely. Is the problem? <laughs> Please. <laughs> so no, that was just a, a really cool thing, and I wanted to to give that a shout. But yeah, there was also actual. Even though, like I said, the the Watchmen characters did not show up. Spoilers. I already spoiled it. But fuck it. Uh, <laughs> did did not show up in any of the four DC Rebirth books this week. But there was still actual news around it. Uh, mm. Last weekend, uh, the MCM London Comic Con took place in, uh, surprise, London. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have known how to find it otherwise. We, we were not there uh, to cover it since getting to London is even more expensive than getting to San Diego. And I don't think there's a civilized nation on earth that would stamp my passport with anything but fail in big, angry red letters. You need a passport for them to stamp it fail first. Well, <laughs> I'm afraid of rejection. <laughs> I just want to be loved, goddammit. <laughs> by Belize. <laughs> this is my secret shame. I, I You want to be loved by Belize? I crave the acceptance of Belize. <laughs> right. Isn't that where those flies live that like drop parasites under your skin that explode in like a, a pusful manner, like when the maggot tries to escape from your skin? I I, I quest for the acceptance of uh, Bolivia. <laughs> Whatever place doesn't have the fucking tsetse flies and the guinea worm, I just I, I want them to love me. So Antarctica. I, I'm I'm huge in Guam. Oh, good. That's good. Somebody should be. I suppose. Anyway, yeah. So Dave Gibbons was there, and uh, th- there was an outfit uh, an outfit called Flicks in the City that uh, interviewed him. I, I don't know if it was a press conference or whatever, mm. but uh, the video was on YouTube, and they asked him about the Watchmen characters uh, appearing in DC Rebirth. Okay. And uh, I actually, it was a relatively long interview, but the, the short <laughs> the short part that's pertinent to my current rage, uh, I do have audio for it. So, <laughs> All right. So yeah, it's Dave Gibbons on Watchmen in DC Universe Rebirth. The Watchmen universe is actually, I mean, obviously 
hugely important to the development of the comic, but it's coming back now in the DC rebirth. They've been hinting at the appearance of, of Dr. Manhattan as a villain. I wouldn't make the question too long, because all I'm going to say is no comment. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I was going to ask, but you, <laughs> yeah. have you been asked or even consulted on it? I, I Did anyone comment. drop you an email? <laughs> no, they didn't. Wow. Wow. Okay. And that's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> Besides, fuck you. <laughs> I'm not mad at them, clearly. <laughs> that's why I want Guam's acceptance. I can fake their accent. I can't do the English one. I don't even know what it would sound like. <laughs> after all of this, after everything that's gone on, apparently they, and, and Alan Moore, I have not been able to find any comment from him about this, but, you know. He's, you know. he's being uncharacteristically silent about this. Usually he goes off on like an angry old man rant. And he does, uh, which is kind of uh, up to a point, understandable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't heard anything from him about this, but it's it seems weird that they wouldn't even talk to Dave Gibbons because he's always sort of been the guy that they they find a way to get him to at least say something and trot him out to be like, see, the atrocity that we're performing on Watchmen is okay. <laughs> it's And it's it's only been in like the last eight or ten years they've even needed to do that. Cause right. It's kind of easy to forget, but at this point, you know, it's been three years since before Watchmen. We're seven years after the Watchmen movie, but for years, nobody fucking touched it. Right. And I liked it that way. It was good. Mm. I enjoyed it. <laughs> sure, Alan Moore got pissed when the book never went out of print. And so, because the, the deal was, supposedly, I've not read Alan's contract, <laughs> despite my... You know, Extensive legal background. Uh, yeah, and uh, long friendship with Alan Moore. Mm, but... Yeah. <laughs> But supposedly on, on Earth Five, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the Shazam universe. Oh. That's <laughs> surprised they have he's to tell probably you the this. wizard there. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I got to think of an anagram of angry old man words that spell Shazam. <laughs> I think it starts with shite. Uh, there you go. <laughs> that's the first two. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, supposedly the deal was the contract that he and Dave Gibbons signed was if the book ever went out of print, uh, they would uh, the rights would revert back to the both of them. So they figured at that point, no comic had ever stayed in print for eternity mm. ad infinitum. So yeah, when they just kept printing graphic novels and graphic novels, and the rights never went back. Plus, he felt like he got fucked on merchandising because mm-hmm. uh, because he did. Yeah, he well, probably did, because, yeah, a lot of what DC apparently did, and I've got one or two of them, but they put out, like, pin sets, mm-hmm. and one of them was the comedian pin, and I love that thing. I've got one or two of them around, but he's like, oh, no, these are promotional items, not merchandise, so you don't get a piece of it, and apparently they did that with a few things. Yeah, it's a, after that, yeah, Alan Moore fucked off and said he'd never work for DC again. For good or ill, there was an attitude, supposedly mostly from Paul Levitz, that nobody can fuck around with Watchmen except for Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. I would rather have it that way. Yeah. I think I've made it clear. I, I, yeah, those ancillary books, I don't want them fucking around. The only reason I bought before Watchmen was because we have a comics website. Yeah. It, it was news. We had to review them. And we didn't have to. And I took certain glee and. <laughs> Tearing certain ones apart. Because they deserved it. Yeah. Other ones were not bad. I just sort of treated them, you know, the, the way I've said a few times, just try to have the attitude of all this stuff that's going on doesn't fuck with the original book. <laughs> You're looking at me with very understanding eyes. It's like... I, I want to reach out and pat you on the head. Yeah. It <laughs> doesn't always work. But, but at the same time, I've said this before, there's a contract. 
Yeah. Moore signed it. Yep. If he didn't like the terms, he shouldn't have signed it. It's not like he was writing in like the 60s or the 70s when it was DC and Marvel and maybe Charlton and Goldkey kicking around. It was 87. Now, he was writing pastiche characters. He could have published that anywhere. Yeah. At that at the time Watchmen, he was writing it, he was already had become a pretty big name with Swamp Thing and with Miracle Man. Yeah. But the point is he could have brought it somewhere else if he didn't like the terms, but he signed it. Right. Now, has DC been stupid in how they handled more? Yeah. Yeah, but DC like frequently doesn't learn that. That's why you had all of the turnover at the beginning of New Fifty Two. <laughs> oh, it's a, going back to, you know, Siegel, Schuster, $130 for Superman. Now, <laughs> fuck off somewhere. We're done with you. Here, take this blanket. It has smallpox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might just be in the bones of the operation. Just yeah. <laughs> right in its DNA from the beginning. No, fuck them if you can. Perhaps. So, but yeah, it's uh, the thing I keep thinking of is uh, when those Sony emails leaked and uh, Joel McHale who was on Community that was getting canceled, that was a Sony show, emailed some exec just to see if he could get the company discount on a <laughs> Sony TV. They just fucking gave it to him because, oh, we were probably going to want to do work with this guy before. Yeah. Let's treat him right. So <laughs> it would have been the right thing to do. They probably at some point could have fixed this. I'm sure they could have. I mean, the the one thing I keep thinking of is at any point, you know, look, you're making money off the comic book. Particularly when Levitz was there and it was, okay, we're hands off, we're not going to do it. All they probably had to do would have been call Moore and Gibbons and say, fine, you get the rights in return for the right to publish the graphic novel in perpetuity. Right. We get to keep publishing it and making the money off it, but you own the rights. It's probably too late to do it now, but I mean, Jesus, <laughs> it might even be worth a shot now. The movie's out. Mm-hmm. You've done your before Watchmen and it didn't do particularly well, but... Fine, you can keep publishing that shit and make money forever. Does that mean you lose the right to stick Dr. Manhattan in like World's Finest number 28? Yeah, it would, but nobody fucking wants that anyway. And that's what this show is about. Uh, <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll try not to keep it too long on this. No, but uh, you, you make a good point, but at this point, uh, the, the cat's out of the bag. They're sticking Watchmen in places they don't belong, like, pencils and orifices it's just <laughs> ew put that pencil down god damn it I, and you're right and i'm, I'm kind of getting off the the point anyway it's you know for whatever reason whether it was the hope that more would someday be willing to work with dc again whether it was you know somebody having the artistic understanding in a corporation somehow that watchman was a single complete work and it would be wrong to mess with it dc didn't mess with it you know, when they did mess with it, even for, like, not even trying to mess with it, just to adapt it into a movie, they always tried to get Moore and Gibbons to sign off on it. Yeah. And Moore never will. I mean, he, at this point, he won't. It's, uh, it's the principle of the thing at this point. Yeah. But, I mean, Gibbons has always shown at least some kind of willingness to play ball up to a point. They, right. You know, he was a consultant on the movie. So he signed off relatively enthusiastic on the movie. He was a consultant on the video game even though that was a pile of shit. And apparently he said later on, yeah, they showed me the cutscenes, and I showed them how I draw something a little differently. And they paid me a ridiculous amount of money to do that. And then I went home. <laughs> Not a bad deal. If you can get it. Yeah. Oh, I would imagine at this point, particularly based on the clip that you just played, he's probably sick of their shit since uh, cons- 
DC has done nothing but fuck up these characters since they've tried to use them in creative fashions beyond just continuing to republish the trade. Well, yeah, it was. He was pretty enthusiastic about his involvement with the movie and, and how the movie turned out. He has said publicly, "Look, it's flawed, but it was probably as good as you were going to get for this kind of work that was really never meant to be anything but the comic book." Yeah, but even with before Watchmen. I mean, and it's as close to damning with fucking faint praise as I've ever seen, but he, he made a public statement that at least didn't condemn it. Okay. It's uh, the quote that he released when Before Watchmen came out was, quote, the original series of Watchmen is the complete story that Alan Moore and I wanted to tell. However, I appreciate DC's reasons for this initiative and wish of the artists and writers involved to pay tribute to our work the best. Uh, may these new additions have the success they desire. That's that's very classy. Yeah, I mean, it, here, here's the actual translation. I'm a well-wisher in that I don't wish you any specific harm. <laughs> I mean, it, it comes down to DC was looking to, look, I, I understand DC wants to make mo- more money off Watchmen. I get there are creators who were inspired by it that want to play in our fucking sandbox. You're going to do it anyway, so I Ooh. hope it works out for you, but don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Yeah. And... I, to sort of hammer home what he, the, the one other piece of audio I got, uh, this is from 2012 uh, in an interview that Gibbons did with uh, Game City Nottingham okay. that I found online. Uh, he he kind of said how he feels about uh, these other non-original works and kind of pay attention to the little laugh he gives when he talks about uh, Before Watchmen. As far as I'm concerned... What Alan and I did was the Watchmen graphic novel and a couple of illustrations that came out at the same time. Everything else, the movie, the game, the prequels, are really not canon. They're, they're, no, I don't want to talk about the prequels. No, no. They're, 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 they're subsidiary. They're not really Watchmen. They're just something different. Yeah, we don't want to talk about the prequels. Nobody <laughs> wants to talk about the prequels. No. But it's it, even with that attitude, he still at least gave that fucking lukewarm quote to yeah. to show. Uh, all right, fine, I'm not going to stand in the way. Given that, how do you not even ping the fucking guy to see if he'll do it for rebirth? Yeah, that's that just seems tone deaf, at least on on DC's part. I mean, the the, the quicker answer is he, he probably fucking wouldn't. Yeah, if the best he could do is give it the old meh for before Watchmen, I doubt he'd want to make any kind of public. You know, even, uh, all right, <laughs> for putting the Watchmen characters in the very universe that they exist upon which to comment. Right. Is that grammatically correct? Sure. Okay. More beer. <laughs> Fine. Berkshire Pale. <laughs> it, it's almost, trying to put myself in DC shoes, how do you even proceed with that? Because you've got to recognize from that, and who knows what, Dan DiDio, Jim Lee, Diane Nelson, whoever had to do to get that quote out of Gibbons for Before Watchmen anyway. It might have involved something involving firstborn children, perhaps. Um, a I bag was, of blood on a moonless night. I don't know. No, they're, they're dealing with Gibbons, not Alan Moore the True. magician. So <laughs> might have been a hand job. <laughs> $5,000 in a paper bag. Quartz upon quartz of Hagen dazs Yeah, there. <laughs> I don't know. The American with yeah, like a Brit, like Jack Daniels. Good for me because it tastes like punching a policeman. <laughs> it probably was an ugly situation because I'm trying to put myself in yeah. All right, Dan DiDio's shoes. If I ask Dave Gibbons for an endorsement and he doesn't give it, 
the answer to that question at, at MCM London is at best a straight no comment. The medium risk there is that he says, yeah, they asked for my blessing. Next question. <laughs> and that's almost as good as it. The worst is like, yeah, they asked for my blessing and uh, I refuse to give it to them. I think it's a terrible fucking idea. The only part I have in this is that I begged them not to fucking do it. And reminded them that everything they've done with these properties so far has sucked. Yes, for God's <laughs> sake. And by the way, Dan DiDio and Jeff Johns wear those hats so I can't get a lock of their hair to give it give to Alan so he can put the <laughs> curse of the mushy balls on them. <laughs> curse of the mushy balls. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a title? Think I can get away with that on iTunes? I don't know. <laughs> but it's, I kind of get why DC would not even bother. Because no matter what, they were going to do this. The reality is New 52 has not gone the way that they've hoped. Nobody has been replaced at the upper levels, so it's the same dudes. This is all they've probably got left is, fuck it, go straight to Watchmen. There was not a force on Earth that was going to stop them from doing this, short of them being fired or promoted to the level of their own incompetence or parked or whatever. Yeah. Short that happening before this happened, it was going to happen. And I had to know that Gibbons wasn't going to go along with it. Yeah. You know, after a decade of going along with the movie and the Black Freighter DVDs and the, the video game and before Watchmen and fucking Rorschach toasters. There were Rorschach toasters after the fucking movie. You know, it, having, you know, Ozymandias shake hands with Plastic Man or some shit, that's probably yeah, no. it had to have been too much. Realistically, the only choice that they had was probably, yeah, all right, just don't even ask and move forward because the, 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 the decision right now is they complain that they weren't consulted or they complain they were consulted and we did it anyway, and somehow that's worse. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Gibbons and the face palm of justice. <laughs> they should have just gone down the credits until they found someone who said okay. Just put out a, a big quote, you know. No, Manny Ipschitz, he flatted issue eight. He's like, I'm thumbs up for, for Dr. Manhattan and DC Rebirth. <laughs> the little Billy Tomlin distributed the books to his local store. <laughs> I think it's neat. He says, more please. <laughs> Uh, the only other thing on this, and then uh, I do, uh, Amanda and I talked about it, we do want to devote most of the show on, yeah, there were four rebirth issues there this sure week. There sure were. Um, <laughs> so we, we want to spend some time going through those. We're not going to do it every week of this because my my soul can't bear it. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait. Did, did you want to mention that um, Warner Brothers, or is it HBO? HBO says that Warner Brothers has a Watchmen TV show in development. What? Yeah. It's there was a thing on uh, Newsarama in conjunction with the the Dave Gibbons um, interview. Apparently, there is a Watchmen television show in development. Where's my whiskey funnel? <laughs> I don't. I literally don't have a response to that. Yeah, that can't that's, possibly that's all the be, information I have. That can't possibly be a thing that's happening. How could I have missed that? I don't know. I showed you the link, but you're kind of drunk. Well, our, that's a day. That happens a lot. You need to really... It's a day that ended in Y. It's, I probably <laughs> drank heavier once you told me that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's <laughs> my payback for when you showed me the Watchmen thing to begin with. <laughs> There's oh, there no choice on that, but oh, God. That can't, please, God, Dolan. HBO, I'm begging you. 
please. It's got to be on HBO because otherwise, how do you get to see you know Doctor Manhattan's blue wing all the time? <laughs> Remember, it's not TV. It's bullshit. <laughs> the. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't even have a response to that. Uh, now I got to Google that and find out about it and get all fucking pissy all over again. We'll give you fodder for Facebook. It'll give me ulcers. <laughs> give me the fucking agita. <laughs> he was wrong and you knew it. You shouldn't have told me about yeah, that. Well. A... <laughs> uh, it's the Dr. Manhattan Show. For $10 all-you-can-eat testicle fest. <laughs> Jesus wept. Yep. <laughs> all right, the only other thing I had was... Uh, uh, Dan DiDio and Jim Lee did an interview with Newsarama about DC Universe Rebirth number one. They did it with Newsarama, not us, probably because Newsarama was unlikely to make their first question, do you want to be punched in the face or the stomach? Um, <laughs> to be fair, Newsarama did explicitly ask them if they thought that including Watchmen characters uh, was implying that it was the darkness of that story that infected DC Comics and that particular darkness is what Rebirth was trying to address. And yeah, both the deal only pretty much dodged the fucking question. They didn't answer it. Pussies. <laughs> and before we, we even go into just this last piece, you and I were talking about this yeah. earlier this week and the whole concept of, oh no, it was Watchmen that did it. it was, Watchmen was the darkness that infected DC Comics. Watchmen changed everything. Yeah, God forbid they don't blame you know Frank Miller who wrote their Batman comic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dark Knight Returns was before Watchmen. Yeah. I mean, not in like, a, oh no, Dark Knight Returns is a quality of before Watchmen. That's a terrible thing to say. Right. But No, Dark Knight Returns came out in February of 86 and Watchmen didn't start until September. So Dark Knight was there a hell of a long time. Well, not a hell of a long time, but enough time before, and had just as big an impact, particularly right in the 80s. Yeah. But yeah, Watchmen's the fucking problem. And don't forget to buy Dark Knight 3 out later this month. Jesus. From Miller's own shaking hand. <laughs> now, now. Poor guy has health problems. Yeah. That's all that we can... That's all that we can say, right? I'm not pressing that button. I'm not pressing that button. <laughs> Uh, the the one quote that jumped out at me from uh, the deal on this was, uh, I think it comes down to, do you do something that's disrespectful of the Watchmen or do something that alters what that story is? And our goal is to do neither of those. Or both. I, or think, bo- I think they can do both. <laughs> or both. Uh, or two. We'll do something two, though. I don't know. I'm incredibly intoxicated. <laughs> That's not part of the quote. This is. Uh, so I think it's an incredible tease and set up for a bigger storyline. But as far as is this a Watchmen story, I think it's not. I think it's handshaking the concept of the Watchmen and using it to adjust some of the continuity that was going on in the DC universe. Oh, what? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. If your story hangs on the idea that Dr. Manhattan created the entire universe in which all of your stories take place... You're writing a fucking Watchmen story, brother. That would seem, yeah. Uh, Especially if you're opening with like images of fucking watches and the and the fucking comedian badge and the fucking Batcave. But no, it's it's a handshake. It's not a dick shake. It's sort <laughs> of shaking off. A dick shake would bring me pleasure. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Watchmen and Rebirth anymore. You want to talk about the actual books? Sure. Okay. Which one would you like to start with? Whatever one you have notes on first. Uh, I have uh, Superman Rebirth, then uh, number let's one. start with Superman. Uh, written by Peter Tomasi, uh, art by Doug Monkey, uh, I think. What kind of parents would name their kid that? I could never pronounce his name, but... 
So uh, we've got mullet Superman back from the 90s. <laughs> now, let's be fair. Now he's Beardo Superman. <laughs> yeah, he needs a fedora. <laughs> oh, it's not a neck beard, for God's sake. <laughs> then Superman kept trim. He didn't let himself go. <laughs> so, yeah, do you want to recap some of the stuff in the story? Oh, we're going to spoil these, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going to spoil every single one of these uh, four books. And if we have time, uh, Civil War Two, number one, which somehow is the third issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And actually, actually, before, yeah, can we just stop for a second and recognize with all this Watchmen shitstorm that's been going on, nobody seems to give a shit that last week DC killed Superman again. Again. <laughs> Which they cover in this book. Superman yeah. Rebirth. I, I, I hated the costume, too. You didn't have to kill the character over it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you gotta kill a man over a pair of underpants. Yeah. That's the law. A, that's the hobo law of the wild. <laughs> like a mock turtleneck. <laughs> Super mock turtleneck. Yeah, it's this is a weird comic in that almost half of it, like seven, I counted seven pages out of the twenty, uh, are flashbacks to the original Death of Superman arc mm-hmm. from the nineties, and the first page of this is a flashback for, of New Fifty Two Superman getting killed last week in Superman. I think yes, yeah. There's not a lot of new story here, and the stuff that's here is really kind of weird if you stop and even. Think about it for a second. Yeah. I mean, th- this entire issue is completely obsessed with the idea of bringing New 52 Superman back up to a point. It's it's just pre-Flashpoint Superman and Lana Lang trying to find a way to bring Superman back to life until they stop. Yeah. And they just sort of stop. It's like, oh, your Earth had a regeneration matrix and ours does not. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, this isn't going to work. We quit. <laughs> so long, Superman. <laughs> I mean, if you stop and think about it, the, the key moment of actual action that progresses the plot in this is robbing Superman's fucking grave. Yeah, there's an element of um, Raiders of the Lost Ark to this, <laughs> where I, Lana Lang doesn't directly say, I'm your goddamn partner, but she does. <laughs> just about, yeah. And that was the least creepy part of it, and even yeah. that was a little creepy, because <laughs> I've never met you before, and you look like my oldest, bestest friend, and now we're partners. Yeah. What? Um. <laughs> the Superman... From the Man of Steel Superman that we've known and loved for 30-something years. In this, he does the same thing that got Ed Gein fucking thrown into an insane asylum. <laughs> but hey, hope and lightness in DC Comics, everybody. Hope and lightness in DC Comics. Because <laughs> it's certainly, you know, all that darkness can be traced back to the Watchmen. Yep. Oh, of course. <laughs> and even... After all those flashbacks, and they set up all the exposition of how old Superman, pre-Flashpoint Superman, got killed and returned, and then they steal the body, the whole resolution of the story is old Superman asks new Superman's robots at the Fortress of Solitude, hey, you got a regeneration matrix? And they say, nope. And then Superman says, oh, well. And then yeah, they, they don't follow up with the obvious question, can you build one? Yeah. <laughs> have you heard of one? Is there any, do you have any records? Can you get plans <laughs> off the internet? Is that possible? Is it next to the A-bomb plans on 4chan? Can we do <laughs> something about it? No, we can't get that? Okay, Lana, let you and me go to Kansas and under cover of darkness, toss Superman's body into a shallow fucking grave. <laughs> Just hope and lightness in DC Comics, everybody. Superman's in a shallow, unmarked grave in Kansas. Where he can be <laughs> rained on and... So maybe that will rehydrate It's not even him. a body. It's like a coffee can full of Superman's ashes. Yeah. It's, they Lebowski'd him. They Lebowski'd Superman. <laughs> you dicks! 
You Lebowski Superman. <laughs> it's uh, taking a step away from from the jokes. In a way, what's happening here, or the result of what's happening here, is kind of okay with me. In the sense that new New Fifty Two Superman never clicked all that well for me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's starting off as that pumpkin T-shirt from Grant Morrison. You know, he was fucking Wonder Woman for like two years. They eliminated the whole Lois relationship. For some reason, the indestructible man needed armor with a turtleneck. Uh, I, I've never gotten that. Because, you know, sometimes he likes to go skiing and it gets a little chilly. Of course. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Greg Pak did do some some cool stuff as I recall from his two years on action comics, but even by then it was, they hardly stuck to my head because what had been done with the character to kind of fuck him up had already been done. Yeah. So it's, he made it better, but the character had been flawed from the word go. And at that point you're using a coffee can to try and swab out the Titanic. (laughs) It's so, I mean, I enjoyed those individual issues, but yeah, none of them really stuck that hard to my brain. But at the, at the same time, whether you like what they did with Superman or not, this is Superman. Right. It's a character with 72 years of history, and this is five years of it. And it's just a complete gloss over on it. They they literally just kill the guy and plant him so that the old guy can take over again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah basically. I mean, and then what they're getting out of it is, okay, they're going to have like four separate Superman titles, one of which will be Lex Luthor being Superman, they're going to have this Chinese Superman... Lois Lane is going to be Superman um, because uh, Thor already does this and they have no original thought. And um, <laughs> Now, now. Oh, come on. She's got his powers and they're killing her. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. That's directly for fucking Thor. And, and I was a gonna, Supergirl comic. I was going to say All-Star Superman because, yeah, still Grant Morrison is <laughs> their, their big idea guy. Yeah. So why not just go straight to the source on that? But and, and they'll have action comics on top of this, so. Yeah, and the actual Superman title, and this book, the toughest part about this book is the way it ended felt very weird to me with that last panel uh, where Superman says, all that tomorrow is missing is Superman, and he's got like this big fucking shit-eating grin on his face, like, okay, I'll be Superman now. (laughs) I literally buried my predecessor, just (laughs) tossed him in the dirt. Yeah, now Superman will have Guy Liner. Don't worry, I'll be Superman. All I can think of was that story about that French guy who pretended to be like a missing teenager from America (laughs) and just came over to take his place. Yep, I'm Superman. What do you mean? I suddenly look 10 years older and I got my underpants on the outside. Look at me. Look at me. (laughs) I'm Superman now. (laughs) That's a terrible... It it, it is. Terrible Captain Phillips accent. It was. But it felt rushed. And, yeah. and and this is something that I felt with almost all of the DC Rebirth issues. It, it felt, look, it's all right, we're going to go forward with this, and we've decided, uh, okay, we don't like the take on New 52 Superman. We're going to go back to the one from uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. So, yeah, all right, in two or three issues, let's just kill the prick and plant them and get the resurrection idea out of your head. And, yep, okay, the old guy's in. And we'll, we'll run this for a while until we see that it's not working, and then we'll find some way for, for Superman's ashes to be reignited by the, the heat of the yellow sun. And <laughs> Yeah, that could be Superman versus Superman, and we'll do that for Superman versus Dr. Manhattan versus Rorschach versus Ambush Bug versus Superman. <laughs> Versus Muhammad Ali. Ooh. Oh, uh, too soon. Too soon. It's, Sorry. The, the the one note I wrote at the end of it was, it, it, it's like we spent the last five years learning about the guy with the scimitar, 
that winds up just getting blown away by Indiana Jones. Yeah, he yeah. Spent yeah. five years <laughs> learning about his family and his friends, and, and he's just trying to make a go of it in Cairo. And you know, oh, he found a found good work with the, these his contract work with these Germans. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Move on to the next guy. <laughs> so yeah, this one of all of them, this was all of the rebirth titles this week. This one felt the weakest to me. Yeah. And really, just sort of off in tone. But again, they all felt kind of rushed. I think ultimately what we're going to find over time is that there was probably a mandate from DC Editorial to say, okay, get your shit wrapped up and you got an issue. You got one. Yeah. And you need to wrap your shit up and introduce the new status quo. And I don't think for a lot of these that's going to be enough time. Well, what I see also in a lot of these is a lot of uh, fan service stuff. So in the Superman book, a lot of revisiting Death of Superman, Doomsday stuff. Hal Jordan shows up in the Green Lantern book. There's Green Arrow and Black Canary getting back together again. There's a whole... <laughs> Well, a lot of Rebirth, I think, we're going to find is fan service. The reality is New 52 spiked and dropped. So they're going to try part of, no matter what they say, part of this is trying to recapture old fans. Yeah. And part of that is, okay, we're going to bring back the shit that you liked from more than five years ago. So there's a very gooey, icky core of fan service right at the center of Rebirth. Yeah. You know, well, it's like they got all of their 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 fanfic out of the way with New Fifty Two, and now they're going back to okay, we're going to bring back the classic storylines and classic themes and ideas. Yeah, and we'll save our fanfic for uh, yeah, Rorschach versus Black Canary. And and the thing is, I'm sure other sites and places larger than us are going to be saying the same thing. And I think after a certain point, DC editorials going to be like, all right, what I, I, what are, what are we supposed to do? You you don't want new ideas. You think that we're caving if we're going back to old ideas? What do you want? We just want good stories, guys. Well, <laughs> I think ultimately the biggest problem with New 52 was those new ideas were 1990s ideas. Yeah. You know, it's and they, they brought in 1990s people. You put Bob Harris in charge of a comics operation and let him bring in Scott Lobdell and all the and fucking Rob Liefeld and everybody he worked with. You're going to get 90s fucking comics. Yeah, you are. There's no way around it. There were no new ideas at the New 52. The new idea was let's do Crisis, but boot back into the 90s for some reason. Right. It was flawed on its face. The only one trying to do something different. <laughs> And even that, only one, I was going to say the only one trying to do something different was Grant Morrison, but his idea for an origin for Superman was to go back to 1938. Mm-hmm. So, well, and, and, and Scott Snyder did okay. He did all right. Scott Snyder, <laughs> is, he's just about the only one who came out of this unscathed. Uh, that's why Batman, of all of these, uh, is the only one that remotely looks forward, is yeah. not really looking backward almost in any way. Uh, which made it the most refreshing one, even though I think that was also a flawed issue. Yeah, we'll and talk about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But but yeah, it, it comes down to, it's it just it feels like flailing. It feels like the New 52 was a, all right, let's get them crisis numbers. And they got them. But then it was, yeah, everything just went to pieces. And it's, yeah, there were no new ideas with the New 52. What, yeah. Changing costumes is not a new fucking idea. That's as old as comics. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And that was half of it. Now it's, all right, let's make everybody younger and nobody has a relationship. Those aren't new ideas. That's... Yeah. Let's let's uh, ship off some characters that, you know, people have always, you know, like wondered what would it be like if. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or splitting up ones that are there. It's a, yeah, we can't have Arthur and Mara married because some 17 year old might see the rack we put on Mara and like redheads and want to get a piece of that poon. I don't even understand the fucking logic behind it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't mean for this to turn into a rant or a moratorium <laughs> on the new 52 as a whole because my thoughts are very disorganized on that. But uh, yeah, that's. The, the idea of, well, you don't want new ideas. Well, you didn't fucking give us any. No. You know, and to then say, all right, well, we'll give you a shit that you had before. Okay, can I have my money back? For, I got a lot of fucking stories with this Superman on him. You just killed him. Can I get my money back? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you back the books. I ain't going to reread most of them. How do you really feel? Oh, God. Berkshire Brewing Company. Steel <laughs> Rail Palo, everybody. <laughs> Let's make Deathstroke young because reasons. <laughs> Oh, God, because of the TV show. Yeah. That's the only reason for that. Yeah. You know, the TV shows you know, and the movies. Why don't we move on to Green Arrow? Speaking, Speaking of, of TV shows. <laughs> and and let me start with, I have not read an issue of Green Arrow since the first uh, issue of, of the New 52. Okay. And it just it didn't click with me. That was the innocent one, right? I don't remember, I to tell you the truth. But yeah, it's it didn't click with me, so I just uh, moved on with it. Green Arrow has never been one of my... Hugely favorite characters. One of my brother's favorite characters, which is why all my fucking <laughs> Mike Grell Green Arrow comics are missing from my collection after I went to college. <laughs> Thanks, dude. So I am not familiar with the current status quo of Green Arrow. Yeah, I'm not really either. Um, I, I gather a lot of it has shifted to be more like the television show because the television show had been doing so well. Yeah, I knew he had his money back at least as of five years ago, and that's really it. So I gather uh, they're trying to kind of reconcile old Green Arrow with TV show Green Arrow in this book. So he's got his money and he's hyper liberal and yet proudly embraces the term social justice warrior and uses his money to give to charities and fight crime on the streets with all of his wacky gadgets. Which makes sense. The the Green Arrow of the 70s... You know, of the hard-traveling heroes, uh, and even up to a point in the 80s, would absolutely have embraced the the term social justice warrior. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the 70s and 80s, he called himself bleeding heart liberal, which was just as loaded yeah. a term yeah. as social justice warrior has become. Mm. Um, so that works for fans of the original character, even though it's a more modern terminology on it. Yes. Um, and that I always liked that version of Green Arrow. I mean, my Green Arrow, like I said, was the Mike Grell Green Arrow. The costume had the hood, didn't have any trick arrows. He was fighting street crime and dealing with the CIA uh, in Seattle. A deeply flawed guy with strong ideals that his morals didn't always match. Yep. And that I like Arrow. You and I have watched Arrow from the first episode Yeah. on the DCW, and I will make that a thing if it I takes know. my entire life. I know you will, sweetie. <laughs> Uh, tonight's show brought to you by the DCW and Berkshire Brewing Company, Steel Rail Pale Ale. They're not paying you, honey. Nobody pays me. <laughs> Even major university doesn't have enough money. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was my version of Green Arrow. Kevin Smith's reboot was okay. Mm. I've got the trade, but it's not a story I revisit on any kind of regular basis. Part of the problem is that Batman the Widening Gyre was so <laughs> fucking shamelessly bad. It really was. It was one of those rare books that is so fucking bad, it made all his other comics 
worse just, <laughs> just by existing next to them on the shelf. So yeah. The minute you the minute you make Batman piss your pants, I start to wonder if you really had any idea what you were ever doing. That's the kind of stuff brings down property values in your neighborhood. Exactly. You know, kind of <laughs> it's like, oh, look, the Wayne fellow urinated on himself again. <laughs> Time to go to Bora Bora, or perhaps Guam. <laughs> I always wanted to see Guam. This time of year. Yeah. Don't go there. I'll be there. <laughs> you think the rich guy peeing on himself is hard to look at? <laughs> So, yeah, as, as a fan of that version of Green Arrow and who grew up reading Green Lantern, Green Arrow, it's not a bad characterization. Yeah. You know, it does keep the rich guy conceit, which gives him an excuse to have all the trick arrows, you know. But, yeah, he's the bleeding heart, social justice warrior, you know, the way he was in the era that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. It does raise some interesting questions on how much a champion of the people a guy can be when, yeah, he's rich as hell and completely disconnected from the problems people on the street are having, except yeah. literally what he sees on television. Now, the elevator pitch was, can you fight the man if you are the man? Yeah, and, <laughs> and that's fine, and that's actually an interesting question, and it's probably an interesting enough question for me to give the the new Green Arrow a try, but, I mean, yeah, uh, again, I, I think this issue suffers from a lack of space and an ambition to try to get some shit together for a new status quo. And part of the problem here, honestly, with me is Black Canary. Now, again, I have not followed this character after Dwayne Swierzynski left Birds of Prey. I read the first issue of the new book, and it was okay, but it's I was not the target audience, so I didn't stick with it, didn't, you know... Do a well, lot they for they me. tried to make her more appealing to the younger demographic by making her a rock star. I mean, yeah, they they Batgirl a Burnside at her, yeah. which is fine, but that's never going to be a thing that appeals to me. But not every book has to be for me. That's okay. Right. I mean, yeah, in this issue, yeah, she just sort of wanders into town. She needs help with this kid, so so Ollie reveals his identity. He opens his fucking home to her, and she responds by calling him a rich, hypocritical fucking douchebag. She hears his story about being on the island and having to scrape out a subsistence level survival and says, I would trade my life in a foster home for yeah, that. She, yeah, she responds with, Wah, I was in foster care. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, 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 they're just dicks to each other. And then they fall in love. Yeah. DC Comics, everybody. I mean, and it felt very contrived. It had to be crammed into this 20, this 20 page issue. But it's it's seriously it's it's like editorial gave the mandate you know that Green Arrow and Black Canary need to be a couple again. It was like, okay, writer Benjamin Percy, you got twenty pages, go. <laughs> and it, it's it's tricky for me because my favorite Green Arrow story is Longbow Hunters. Yeah, and even though that was post crisis, clearly Mike Grell sort of took on some of the pre crisis characterizations of Arrow and Canary, and he made them early middle aged with a long history together, even though we didn't know all of it. Yeah. It was really the first big Green Arrow story after Crisis, and it sort of dropped you into the middle of this relationship, and that's okay. It worked. Yeah. All you needed to know was that these characters had been together, and take it from there. You know, and there are certainly problematic elements to that story. You know, the serial killer kidnapping Canary and sexually abusing her. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but the adult continuing nature of Ollie and Dinah's relationship was not one of those elements that worked for me and continued to work for me through Grell's run. And he just sort of let it go without saying it's like, yeah, these two are together and they have been. 
Now here it feels like they're forcing them together because they specifically kept them apart. And Ooh, look at this chemistry. They're bickering, but it's because they love each other. They're fighting this thing, and they shouldn't fight it. Yeah, and it's it, it's not nearly as interesting or effective as you know, just saying, okay, fine, uh, it's Rebirth, and yeah. these guys have been together all the time. Magic! <laughs> Comics, everybody! You could do that! You could do that. Yeah, the villains in this issue are fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, they 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 used Morlocks and stole a storyline from Taken. Yeah, <laughs> look, I, I get there might be a certain amount of reticence on the part of DC editorial to have Green Arrow fucking ventilating people with razor arrows, but mole people in the sex business. <laughs> That, that doesn't sound like a Green Arrow comic. That's that's like the new direct-to-Amazon book from the guy who wrote Come for Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> Mole people in the city. <laughs> but, so, yeah, the, the whole actual you know action part of the story didn't do anything for me. Like I said, the most effective part for me was how Ollie is presented as sort of a mix of the more modern TV version and, but still his old 70s, 80s bleeding heart yeah. that he always was. Yeah. The, the rest of it, the forced relationship, and we're going to go into the sewer for the, the magic sex auction with <laughs> Bitcoin. Cause, oh, it's LexCoin. Oh, oh, LexCoin. Oh, fucking forgive me. I hate <laughs> to violate a trademark. But in the Seattle underground, well known for its fucking awesome internet access. They got great fucking Wi-Fi in the fucking yeah. underground forcing Ollie and Dinah together it didn't do anything for me it's if you're fans of these characters this is not probably a crucial read you know just you can probably skip this issue and just say fine it's a foregone conclusion now that these two are together same way Mike Grell did in Longbow Hunters in the 80s and it was fine and it worked and yeah just join in later and just take for a foregone conclusion that this this happened yeah yeah so anything else on no it's I think I forgot to mention, I did say written by Benjamin Percy, art by Otto Schmidt. Yeah, I, this this book was very rushed seeming, and I didn't like the art. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't particularly my style. Yeah. I think it was acceptable, but... Didn't like the cover art either. It's, no. <laughs> Just no. Okay, so uh, you will not be tuning back in for the no. the wacky love adventures of Dinah and Ollie. No. <laughs> Dinah and Holly sounds like a cartoon show for me from the 70s. No. <laughs> no! I said good day. I said good day, <laughs> sir. Uh, all right. Want to do Batman or Green Lanterns? Uh, let's do Green Lanterns. Here's, uh, here's another one where it was rushed and... Seems to be stealing its premise from Lethal Weapon. <laughs> yeah, I got a big note here. This is a rookie cop story. Yeah. That's <laughs> the two partners who don't like each other. Yeah. And neither one of them, unfortunately, is too old for this shit. Yeah. Yeah, Green Lanterns, Rebirth Number 1, written by Jeff Johns and Sam Humphreys, art by Ethan Van Siver and Ed Bennis. And yeah, first of all, I've called this issue just plain old Green Lantern about 57 times. This as soon as I saw Ed Bennis on there, I kept going through here looking for Giddy Bottom. Like just because <laughs> that's what he used to do when he would draw Batgirl, and you'd just see like like yeah. Batgirl would express her emotion through her bottom. <laughs> yeah, uh, did you find it? Uh, in a couple it's places. There. <laughs> it's fucking there. Listeners playing along at home, see if you too can find Giddy Bottom. <laughs> oh, don't. 
can you give the uh, the definition of giddy bottom? Because I know I wrote it, but I don't remember. <laughs> there was something about Ed Bennis's art, and it's 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 the way that you, you you catch the the female character from behind, clearly gleeful as she goes slinging through the night because her her bottom is bouncing along nicely. <laughs> there you go. So, giddy bottom is a possible title of this show too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, before we get to the art. Uh, yeah, this, uh, again, this is Green Lanterns. Uh, it's not Green Lantern Corps. This is the, the two Green Lanterns that no one knows anything about or really cares about at this point. But Jeff Johns is here, by God, to maybe make us start caring about them. No. Or maybe one of them. Please, no. No. somebody. No. I got a new Green Lantern event. It's a big one. No. No. It's another one based on a color. Are no. you in? Please. No. Ugh. The more I think about it, I think Giddy Bottom is also a place where hobbits could live. <laughs> <laughs> And just frolic naked. In the giddy bottom. That's what I picture Guam to be like. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, the weird thing about this book, not just this book, but Jeff Johns with Green Lantern for a while. Over the years, he's had a lot of success introducing new characters into the Green Lantern mythos and circle. Now, not just necessarily in the Green Lantern core, but I mean, you got characters like Atrocitus and Bleas and Larflees and fucking De- Dexstar. That was an accident. Yeah. That was just sort of an art gimmick that I think Ed Bennis threw in the background and yeah. he wrote a whole origin for him. I love that story. It's a great story. <laughs> but yeah, Johns has really built up the Green Lantern overall character base over the years. But it's like ever since the New 52 line in the sand, he's tried to introduce two actual Green Lanterns. And it's it, it feels like he's, he's just an amateur magician fucking up a card trick. It's like, okay, is this your Green Lantern? Oh, shit. Hold on a second. Is this your Green Lantern? Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's try some other colors. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll get yeah. to that too. But uh, I mean, the good part of this is... This issue gives some real estate to both Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz so we can actually get to know them. Right. Which I didn't feel like we got a ton of in Green Lantern for Simon. He was in one or two issues and then he sort of switched over to Forever Evil for a while and then Justice League of America and he just sort of felt like just he trying to find bounced a place around. For him, yeah. Yeah. So we, we get to know him a little bit. The problem is we get to know him enough. I can already see the broad strokes. Uh, we see by the end of this issue, the Red Lanterns are going to be a major part of upcoming stories. Yep. Simon's got a lot of anger, so he'll be pulled in their direction. But Jessica will actually overcome her fear to save him. You can almost write it uh, yourself. Yeah. You know, and yeah, he'll paint she's, him. She's agoraphobic, but she can overcome great fear. Yeah, it's but he'll paint himself as the you know, grizzled cop on the edge and you don't know what I've seen and what I've been through and she'll be the rookie even though, yeah, it's really only been <laughs> a few months uh, that he's been a Green Lantern that she hasn't. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I mean, any more lethal weapon? It, well, all right, that that's not about rookies, obviously, but it's, yeah, it's, here are our partners, they're mismatched. <laughs> Wackiness will ensue, they've got to learn to work together. <laughs> Yeah, 80s buddy cop. So yeah, maybe yeah. maybe not Lethal Weapon, uh, although they do all seem to fall in the pattern of old grizzled cop and brand new partner, because 48 Hours yeah. is the first one, really. Uh, what else is out there? Those um, are the two big ones, yeah, I think. Those are the two big ones. Tango and Cash. <laughs> I never saw Tango. Turner and Hooch. 
Which one's Hooch? <laughs> you know, I, I would I would read a, a Green Lantern that was Turner and Hooch. That's all right. Especially if like one of the Green, green Lanterns was a dog. Dexter and Hooch. It That's writes awesome. itself. <laughs> it goes, yeah, give it straight to Pixar, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Do it now. Actually, that's Disney. No, they won't take it. No. Who's Warner Brothers Animation? Uh, whoever they can get on the cheap from Korea lately. Yeah, the, the Shrek guys. They're, they're waiting for something to do. <laughs> <laughs> Give it back to whoever was doing the Green Lantern like 3D CGI one. That was all right. Yeah, that was really good. Unfortunately, the movie bombed, so we never yeah. got any more of that. But yeah, it's, it's going to be kind of a buddy cop thing, and that's fine. You know, Look, I've said before using Green Lanterns as a cop story is far more effective to me than the big space army stories that it winds up normally being. So fine, fine. Give me a couple earthbound cops who don't necessarily know what they're doing and don't play by the rules. I'm okay with the fact it's because they don't know what they are. (laughs) I don't want to be greedy, (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's a slippery slope though, because all right, so they're, they're going to be space cops. That's fine. But then how long before this starts to spin out into like Green Lantern SVU, Green Lantern major case. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> if I see Green Lantern cyber, I am leaving <laughs> comics forever. <laughs> With Academy Award winner, uh, Anna Paquin. <laughs> Doesn't she have an Academy Award? She does. She's looking for shit to do. Yeah, because they're not putting her in the X-Men movies anymore. No, let's be fair. <laughs> I haven't seen Apocalypse. I don't know if Rogue's in that or not. I don't not. think she is. It certainly was not part of any of the, she, she the was, marketing. She was filmed for one of the other ones. Um Days of Future Past, but then they didn't use any of her stuff. There is a, and I should see if I can get my hands on it, there's a Rogue Cut yes, Blu-ray DVD of Days of Future Past that, that I wouldn't mind seeing. That's one of those, I don't think we liked that movie as much as, as a lot of people did. It was well, okay. It was it was too easy to sit there and go, well, this is the part that Kitty Pride was supposed to be in, and this is the part that Kitty Pride was supposed to be in. Oh, and this one too. <laughs> Which is true, and I've heard that from a lot of major fans of X-Men, but yeah. I've said on the show before, X-Men's never been my, my jam. They, they used it as an excuse for another Wolverine showcase, which is fine, but in that case, write him a, a good movie, and it's not like Ellen Page couldn't have carried a fucking movie. <laughs> this is very true. We've seen it once or twice. Yeah, but I digress. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, as long as we're uh, talking about uh, girls on film, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was an awesome non sequitur Wonder Woman ass shot. You don't <laughs> need, you don't need to find it yourself. I wrote it down. Uh, page eighteen. Uh, good work, uh, Ethan Andor Ed. Probably it's, Ed. And, and the look thing, at that bottom. That's Ed. Yeah, that's that's, that's totally Ed. Ed. And the, the the tough part about this page is it's meant to demonstrate to the reader that the lanterns are going to be working with the Justice League. But the biggest element on the page, dead center. <laughs> Wonder Woman in a skirt, shot from behind and below. And the worst part is her face is in shadow. Yeah. So it's literally easier to look up her skirt than look at her face. Yeah. It's Wonder Woman all about that base. <laughs> don't don't bring that shit on the show. <laughs> God damn you. But it, it was, yeah, just one of those. You're probably right. That's probably a Bennis page. Just one of those classic cheesecake yeah. yeah, that was so prevalent in the beginning of the new fifty two. It's like, all right, we're gonna start with this. You know, all right. And see, this is the problem. It's a definition of insanity. You have the same people do the same things over and over again, you're gonna get the same fucking result. I call this page serious bottom. 
serious bottom? Yes, she, she's very serious, what you can see of her face. Uh, really? I can't see her face at all. For all I know, she's cackling like a moron at, at Jerky there's Boy's a, there's tapes. A, there's a shadow uh, right over her mouth, so you can't really tell any emotion. But her bottom looks quite serious. That is a serious bottom. <laughs> oh, exactly. That bottom's got shit to do. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, at the very end, uh, we get what I imagine is Jeff Johns going... Um, almost literally back to the well with another Green Lantern event based on a color, mm-hmm. this time the Red Dawn. What was your reaction to, to seeing that? Hi, Dexter. That was, that was my reaction. <laughs> hey, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, we've, we've done this. We've done this. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, look, I love Blackest Night. You know, when there was a similar page in Green Lantern, Jesus, at this point, God, 2008, nine. I don't even remember... But there was a similar splash page that announced the Sinestro Core War and then said, and next year, the Blackest Night. That was as exciting a teaser promo page in, in a comic that I can remember in a while. I, I remember getting up from my desk yeah. and walking over and showing it to you. Yeah. Yeah, it's Sinestro Core War I loved, Blackest Night I loved, and a lot of people did. We've told the anecdote about being at San Diego that year, and it was the one year that the DC panels were as full, if not more full, than the Marvel panels, and that's not a thing that ever happened a lot. Right. That excited everybody. Brightest day after that, eh, it was all right. Well, you know, sometimes uh, when you have a really big event... The best thing to do is not to follow it up with another event that's not going to live up to it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's a problem with both the big two these days. It's all right, time for another event. Uh, really? Do we have to? It's on the calendar. Got to do it. <laughs> the punch in, write your event. Yeah. It's your turn. But uh, yeah, you're right. It, it feels like he's going back to the well. Another big event based on a color to stick with the spectrum. Yeah. And yep. it seems to be multicolored based on what is in the box in the first. Well, and and that's the thing. It's a yeah. We open up with yeah some guardian Owen opening a box, and yeah, multiple colors come out. So fine, this is going to be the Red Dawn. What's next? Blue meanies, <laughs> the Orange Crush, Yellow Discipline, <laughs> Skittles War, Taste the Rainbow of Justice, <laughs> Swallow My Justice. <laughs> Oh, God. So, I mean, yeah, this this particular book, it, it's okay. But it's, it, yeah, it's another just sort of truncated tease. And, yeah, there's just old ideas in here. Mm-hmm. And, it's it, again, it's the same problem. It feels like, yeah, all right, you guys have one issue. And do everything you want to do because it's the new normal next month. I guess I am appreciative that they're trying to bring back some things that, that fans were vocal about in these books. They're trying to do some fan service. I, I, I think that's going to engender some goodwill. I just, I don't know how we get through to the writers that they just need to work on, on telling stories that are good stories and, and not shock value or, or revisiting old ideas for the, the sake of, of trying to have familiarity in a book. Well, and, and that's why... And then again, I, you know, I'm pissed off still about you know Nazi cats in America, but <laughs> in the other book, but yeah, no, nobody's uh, innocent these days, are they? Yeah, it's part of why. I, yeah, I doubt we're gonna. We'll probably do individual rebirth books. Uh, it, it felt important, at least to me, this week to do all of them to, to the point where 
I, I ran out to the comic store today to pick up Superman Rebirth because I had missed it. Mm. Uh, it's like, all right, let's let's talk about him and and all right, we've talked a lot of shit. I think rightly so about Watchmen in DC Universe Rebirth One. Let's see how Rebirth is panning out, at least at this stage of the game. And yeah, let's be fair. It's uh, unlike New 52, you know, there's no blue wang poking out. (laughs) Every issue got a blue wang in it. Just hunt for the blue wang. (laughs) Let me me tell you what doesn't need a lenticular cover. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, look, it's moving. Oh, Oh, Jesus. That's horrible. (laughs) Uh, It felt important to, to... Visit it this week, but yeah, I, I'm guessing we're going to find this over and over again. It's just, uh, all right, it's something that should have been an issue or two, you know, two or three issues. Yeah. All right, let's cram it in, and this is the fine white line of now it's all new, all different, to borrow from a different company. <laughs> uh, but it's just, it's not enough space to really do anything. Yeah. So it's it feels like one and done's that reference a past that no longer necessarily matters, mm-hmm. uh, moving into a future that's really a past that does matter. It's a very weird feel to all these books. Yeah, yeah. No, you're not wrong. So, move to Batman, the only one that actually seems to look like it's moving forward without saying, Wait, oh. The, the one that was written by Scott Snyder in part? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and Tom King, to, to be fair. Uh, art by Mikkel Janin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of parents would name their kid that? I've never known how to pronounce that. So. It's okay. Honey. He's a good artist who I really like, but <laughs> I'm a provincial American. I can't pronounce shit. So apparently avocados uh, grow on the Wayne property in upstate New York. Yeah, that felt a little odd. Mm. Although uh, not Gotham, I think, is more in like Delaware or something. I don't think avocados grow there either. Probably not, but it's certainly not a West Coast city. It is not. <laughs> so then, hey, look, it's rebirth. It could be anywhere. I suppose Lucius Fox could have genetically engineered avocados that can withstand um, New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sure that's good for the bats that he feeds them to. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a, just a cave full of man bats. Oh, did they take Langstrom serum? No, man. We've been feeding them this shit. <laughs> Let me show you my avocados. It's a, <laughs> they, they, they hate and they want the vote. It's just terrible. <laughs> I'm going to blow up the Batcave. I can't go in there anymore. All that from some guacamole. Hey, we we got a whole new calendar, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> go on. Um. So I guess Calendar Man rises from the dried husk of his body every season. <laughs> That's new. That's forward looking. Yeah. No, I, I think the book was interesting. It, it, it bridges... Um, one of the main characters from Robin War um, and gives him something to do, although we're not entirely sure what that is yet. It seems to involve a new costume. I've read online he's supposed to be a character called Lark. Okay. I could be wrong on that. I forget where I uh, read it, and I'm off an online drunk. And it, it seems to follow in the fine tradition of, I'm going to dress my sidekick up and break colors to distract from me. <laughs> Why else have a sidekick, for Christ's sake? He's Batman. He doesn't need a sidekick. He needs a fucking diversion. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is for Duke Thomas. Uh, look, I enjoyed the character, and we are Robin in the Robin War. When I've read it, you mm-hmm. were a, a bigger fan of that than I was. Yeah, I enjoyed that. the The thing is, Snyder has really made the Batman family kind of so key since the New Fifty Two. 
uh, where he really wasn't, the Batman family really wasn't for a while. Uh, it almost makes sense that, yeah, if Damien is going to be fucking off with the Teen Titans, you know, Batman needs somebody that he can work with to maintain that same kind of relationship. Right. And certainly it's not a good idea for any writer to say, oh, he did that, so I'm going to do something similar. But it works with what Snyder has done up until now, so I can I can buy into that. Yeah. And also, you know, he's sort of batting 50% with Robins. Why not? <laughs> Why not try a different name uh, just to see if that shakes shit up? Yeah. Um, the the new Calendar Man thing, it, look, I don't know a hell of a lot about Calendar Man. Nobody's a fan of Calendar Man. It made him interesting in this book. Well, yeah, it's uh, the one thing that the first time I really remember paying any attention to him was in The Long Halloween, which right. I think is what most people did. And even that was apparently a reboot. Uh, apparently there was one point back in Batman's history where he stopped to change into a fucking calendar costume while Batman was chasing him. <laughs> That's nobody's favorite fucking villain. No, he was just a dude who was obsessed with a calendar. And yeah, like you said, now he's he's an actual metahuman or mutant or some weird fucker. <laughs> but yeah, he ages with the seasons and sheds his skin and comes up with different DNA, but all his memories... I mean, it's not a not a bad idea, I guess, you know, for a character who is really just kind of a, at his best a knockoff Hannibal Lecter, right? You know, to sit in a cage and talk about calendar based crimes, which happen all the time. <laughs> they happen when Calendar Man, calendar man does them, or. In the long Halloween. He has a very small convention every year with the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But, so, yeah, it's, I don't think anybody was screaming, I want a better calendar man, but it beats the shit out of a guy who used to wear a calendar cape. Yeah. So I'll take it. That said, yeah, this is a forward-looking issue that uh, doesn't look back to pre-crisis or anything like that. It had some flaws. The one thing to look back is uh, the tree that, at the very end, Duke and Bruce were kicking. Right. Uh, at least I think was meant to remind us of the tree that Bruce all but kicks in half in uh, Batman Year One. Yes. But other than that, yeah, this is not something that was a big nostalgia fest. It still had some problems. I don't know what the fuck is up with that scene of Bruce Wayne hanging off the helipad off the edge of his building while Lucius Fox just sort of MacGuffins his fortune back. <laughs> The idea that Bruce would do something to show off doesn't really ring true to me. On the other hand, maybe this is a new side to him now that he's been regenerated from the end of, of his previous storyline. Yeah, but what better way to scream, yeah, the rich guy is probably Batman than to show him doing death-defying fucking feats of physical prowess with no fear. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Unless the the MacGuffin that they're using to get the fortune back is uh, no, you did it through street magic. You're, <laughs> you're the Chris Angel of fucking Gotham City, and that's how you made your millions back. <laughs> that doesn't seem right. I, I don't know. Or or oh, it's Bruce Wayne being Bruce Wayne again. It's like M Manny being Manny. Like <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's Manny, a Manny Ramirez reference for those of you outside of Boston. Yes, Manny R Ramirez was well known for deciding, I don't want to play, and just standing in left field waiting for things to happen around him. Or doing goofy-ass shit because Manny. Yes, but he hit the ball like it owed him money. <laughs> so we accepted it and said when he did that, he's just Manny being Manny. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you can hit it over the wall during the playoffs, that's fine, Manny. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You're right. It's, it's, it's odd. I don't know why he would do that. <laughs> and and the whole speech that Fox gives him about, uh, oh, you're 
father said that being a doctor was to show people that they can overcome the impossible. That's fine, but it feels kind of heavy-handed, particularly considering all of Snyder's last issue was basically saying, oh, Batman, here's what you mean to me and everybody else. Right. So I don't think that needed to be there. Same thing with, <laughs> and this was just me, and this happened after the scene where we've established Bruce has his money back. Uh, we've got this scene with Batman diving, just in his costume, diving in freezing water to bomb Calendar Man's weather machine. Now, it's supposed to demonstrate that Batman, part of how he exists is to show people they can overcome the impossible because the whole deal with that is, uh, Duke, I can only survive for four minutes underwater. And it's like, oh no, you've been down there six minutes. You're going to die. It's not worth it. And right. he still overcomes and perseveres. But all I kept thinking was, dude, you've got your fucking money back. Don't you have a submarine or something? You can just <laughs> fucking depth charge Gotham Harbor. Shouldn't you have a bat sub? <laughs> yeah, it's if not, go buy one. You got yeah. to have it overnighted. You're Bruce Wayne for fuck's sake. You just get that from Cabela's. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, from Amazon. Amazon Prime. Yeah, they'll deliver it free. <laughs> yeah, but you don't even need a Kickstarter. Just yeah, buy so it. it's a decent enough action film, but it's that was also sort of a even that scene. You know, not only was I thinking that, I kept flashing back to the the last Mission Impossible where. Mm. That was, uh, oh, Tom Cruise did a stunt where he had to hold his breath for five minutes. Why? <laughs> Give him an air hose. He's Tom Cruise. He can afford it. Yeah. <laughs> You're Bruce Wayne. Get a sub. Just <laughs> or better yet, uh, no, yeah, bat rockets. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with something. But. It seems to me that at the very least he he would have like you know a motorized something or other that could help pull him down there. <laughs> like. Uh, yeah, one of those things that, uh, like in the abyss, you yeah. just sort of hold on to it and it pulls it, you along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if James Conn can have it, why can't Batman? And even in the 70s, Batman had a rebreather. It didn't have valves and shit. It was just <laughs> a thing he stuck in his mouth. He didn't need a scuba tank. He could yeah. stay down for a while. I'm pretty sure he had it on, like, Super Friends, too. Like, <laughs> this issue's getting worse the more I talk about it. Son of a bitch. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's not a great issue of Batman, it's, but the one thing to inform it, it's the one of the four Rebirth books this week that, that looks is forward. definitively looking forward and saying, okay, this is a chance to do a new thing, and we're going to continue we're going to continue to do new things. Yes, and I re- I don't even expect that from every Rebirth book because again, like I said, at the gooey center of this is a certain amount of nostalgia and fan service. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. you stop buying the books and we did this, we're going to give you back this shit, and I expect to see that. Right. I don't know how often we'll see it, but... I think we'll see it pretty often. Yeah, I imagine we'll go back to a Swamp Thing who was never Alec Holland. We'll go back to a more Hellblazer-ish John Constantine. Uh, One would hope. Yeah, Wonder Woman You know, with Greg Rucka at the helm may go back to, nope, you're always Clay, and that's... Nah, because uh, there's some bullshit in there about how she's going to have a brother or some shit. <laughs> oh, that's right, but... Yeah, it's a, we'll, we'll see a certain amount of it, and, and that's okay, but after a certain point, it feels a little weird, mm-hmm. and and particularly with Superman this week. It's like oh, you just killed the guy to get him out of the way. <laughs> yeah, we don't know what we need to do with this character. Oh, he's dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, damn shame. Damn shame. <laughs> Superman's down. <laughs> the thing I feel bad about is uh, apparently this version of Superman has been around for a while in the Adventures of Lois and Clark, <laughs> which I didn't buy because I saw Adventures of Lois and Clark. Yeah, I didn't watch that show when it was on TV. I'm not going to buy the comics now. <laughs> so I just completely missed for the last few months. Yeah, Superman's been kicking around the New 52 universe. 
Didn't know. Well, that's what happens when you write something that nobody gives a shit about. Yeah. (laughs) Clearly somebody gives a shit. Now he's Superman again. (laughs) I guess. But... Yeah, it's it's uh, anything else about Batman or no? All right, so we we do have time actually. This is going to wind up being a kind of short show, which is fine because the alternative was me spending an extra fucking twenty minutes bitching about Watchmen again, and nobody needs that. I'm not even going to talk unless there's new news on the Watchmen thing. I'm not talking about it next week. I swear to God. You sure? I promise as much as I possibly can. Okay. <laughs> you know something horrible is going to happen next week don't look at me like that yes I know but that's why I said <laughs> if there's new actual news mm. uh, I will uh, I will say something otherwise pull the other one for it hath bells on it <laughs> what huh <laughs> <laughs> what the <laughs> huh <laughs> is that a dick joke maybe <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it was from a book without pictures son of a bitch <laughs> they happen they happen not to me. <laughs> All right. So should we do the big Marvel event oh, of the week? Yeah. Uh, we're just in an event hell right now, it feels Three like. Three issues in, we finally have Civil War Two issue one. Yes. I don't know how the <laughs> hell we manage that. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by David Marquez. It's been a tough couple of weeks for me because there's not been a single issue of anything where as soon as I finished it, I could just put it down or hand it to you and say, this is really good. And I was hoping for that from this, and it's not happening. It's not I, happening for me anyway. Yeah, I didn't hate this one, I think, as much as... as I, I didn't hate it. There's potential here. Yeah. But the, the potential is what I hope for from it and is not necessarily what's actually on the page. There's hints of it, but why don't you give your impressions first because I will go into what I hope I will see from this book and will eventually I'm sure wind up being painfully disappointed by. Okay. So uh we 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 find out about how Ulysses hooks up with the inhumans in this book. They take the step of communicating his visions that appear to be of the future to um the ultimates to to use for the purpose of stopping Thanos. Um things go wrong and Rhodey appears to have been killed. Which, by the way, we've known since Free Comic Book Day. Yeah. Tony takes this poorly because they, in his opinion, by doing this and attempting to fuck with the future, uh, they he feels that the Ultimates have killed Rhodey rather than Rhodey having died as a, a soldier serving his country, which is how Captain Marvel sees it. Which she would. Yes. I feel like there were story beats here that Bendis kind of stole from some of the scenes in various Avengers movies lately, like, you know, let's have a party at Tony's place where things suddenly go sideways and wrong and serious. And <laughs> Oh, yeah, and he flat out at one point, uh, I don't know whether this was Bendis or Marquez, but uh, when Tony lands after he hears about Rhodey, he does the hero three-point landing that we've seen in yeah. every Iron Man appearance, except for Civil War, because <laughs> he was not a hero there. They seem to be drawing uh, young Jean Grey to look like Sansa Stark now. I'm not feeling cynical about that at all. I did not pick up on that. But then again, it is still young Jean Grey from the time travel after Age of Ultron. Yeah. Which I will get into and is making me feel very, very uh, concerned about this uh, particular story. And Ulysses has the interesting quality, apparently, that his mind cannot be read. Therefore, uh, Jean Grey can't get in there to to see what's going on or, or figure out how to communicate how his powers work to others. Um, It also means that they don't have 
a really easy way to go in and see how his powers work so as to determine whether or not they will ultimately be helpful or harmful down the line. Right. They also seem to be stealing the story beat of, well, Captain America Civil War. It was the death of Tony's parents at the hands of of, um, Bucky. In this particular case, it's the death of Rhodey at the hands of, of Thanos via his involvement with the Ultimates, right. causing Tony to create this this rift. Sure. <laughs> so there there are things here that feel lifted from other stories, recent stories, which makes it feel less original than it could have been. Oh, yeah. It's not just from recent stories. And I, I've said it before. This is a Philip K. Dick story with Iron Man. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I guess as someone who, who enjoys um, Doctor Who, as I'm looking at this here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when Tony Stark is the voice of reason about like not fucking with the future because there's possible futures. And how do we know that this is the future if he sees a vision and you go in and you um, then act upon the vision, that future doesn't happen. So that wasn't the future. You saw a possible future. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's part of what gives me some trepidation about this story is if there's even a potential element of time being a factor Age of Ultron was one of the more disappointing Marvel events of the last 15 years for me. Yeah. And that was Bendis specifically going in there to tie, tell a time travel story. And it was it was one of those, it was just sort of a classic, you know, okay, let's stop and look at this. Who's the protagonist of this story? Who's the antagonist? And I really couldn't say it almost until the end. It was just a case of, here's the thing that happened and let's see what happens to these characters uh, who it happened to. Yeah. And it would shift from character to character. Wolverine was a through, uh, through point for a while. Then the Invisible Woman. And it just, it was really disjointed. And it was hard to say beyond this is a thing that happened. It was not really a great story. And it was just, I want to see what happens with this. And then, oh, there'll be Aftermath later. Mm-hmm. It'll let me bring back the original X-Men for some reason, but it was, it was a really weak event. And the other thing that happens here is in order to make these stories have a possibility of happening, you have to have your characters start to act um, at the extremes of their personalities or in ways that are not typical to their personalities. And we're seeing a lot of stridency from characters who aren't necessarily strident. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Particularly Captain Marvel and uh, She-Hulk spoilers with her dying breath. But even then, uh, as opposed to Millar's original Civil War, where I don't even think it was the extremes of characterization, it was just, nope, this guy needs to do this thing, otherwise my story doesn't go forward, so that's what he's going to do. Right. To the point it required serious repairs to the character of Tony Stark to even have him continue in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Uh, I... I do think here it's more the extremes, mm-hmm. but it's also, I think it kind of, it can kind of work. There's, there's real potential here. And the potential here with me is not, Oh, we get to see these particular people punch things out. Uh, and we get to see these guys argue and uh, have different points of view. It's what I, what I hooked onto on this is, okay, this is the best possible story. It could be was Stark and his concept of potential future. Right. And potential future could really matter because that could really cut to the very concept that could make this a really good story. And it's not about pre-crime or knowing the future. It's about free will. Yes. You know, if you know a possible future 
and act to prevent it, no matter what the cost and no matter what the actor who created that future has actually done, then you are denying the possibility of free will on the behalf of that actor. Yeah. While placing your own free will as sacrosanct. I'm going to do this even though they have done nothing. And that's my choice and that's more important. And attacking the concept of free will itself could be a very deep comic for a very deep concept rather for a superhero comic, provided that's actually where it goes. Right. There's a certain optimism that I have because they're squaring off on predictable lines. You've got Captain Marvel is a soldier. She-Hulk is a lawyer. These are people who work within guidelines and procedures. There's a system. There are rules. And the outcome is what's important. The mission parameters. The verdict. Iron Man Civil War 1 aside, he's an iconoclast. He's never followed anybody's rules. He decides what he's going to do and he just does it. He would never put himself in a situation where he had to believe that his will didn't matter. Right. And if you believe... And and that he would be denied choices and possibilities because somebody else didn't want him to do a thing. Right. Or that he possibly never had a choice at all. Yeah. If this, you know... If it's not a potential future, it's the future unless somebody intervenes, then he, it's not his choice. There is no free will. Yeah, and I think, and I don't know that they'll go this route, but there's also, you know, if you, if you watch Doctor Who and that kind of thing, there's the idea of, of fixed points in time, potentially, and the idea that certain things um, need to be allowed to happen, and if they don't, the universe is going to try to write itself so that it can happen eventually, regardless of your choices. <laughs> Right. Which goes against your free will thing, but it speaks to a larger, the balance of of space and time. So if you're trying to change outcomes, but outcomes have already been determined, like we see Thanos, who is bullshit with them, he's like, you're not supposed to be here. Right. Um, (laughs) And and Thanos has always had a more cosmic awareness, so he understands that there's been a change. Right. So, you know, what, what things are the things that, should be happening and by Carol and the ultimate's choices, what will they be messing with that will cause further repercussions down the line beyond the death of right out of the gate, two characters. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's fine, but that's, that's another time travel story and that's not nearly as interesting to me. You know, the stories like that are, I don't want to say they're a dime a dozen, but yeah, I can see them 13 weeks a year in Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and they tried to do it with Age of Ultron. That's far less interesting to me than the idea of this is a thing that's going to happen. And even if I know it, maybe I don't have any choice in it. And it's a it's a weird it's a weird underpinning to almost any time travel story because mm-hmm. and this is sort of an Alan Moore philosophy that I don't necessarily believe in, but sort of the idea of if there are three concrete dimensions, no matter what, and the fourth is just another concrete dimension, then it is all happening at once. And if it's all happening at once, then it doesn't matter what you do. You're doing what you're preordained to do. The mm-hmm. fourth dimension is the fourth dimension, just like the third is the third. And you will do what is required for you to move through time in that fashion. Yes. I don't necessarily believe that because I'm a drunk and I like to believe I could be unpredictable. <laughs> um, but... But if that's what he hooks into, the the idea of how do you grapple with maybe I don't have a choice, that could be very interesting. And if you look at the cover, I'll give Bendis some credit, if you can believe the sides that people are on, you know, you've got Spider-Man on Captain Marvel's side, 
which seems a little weird, mm. but if you stop and think about it, he's the guy who is about power and responsibility. So if there's anyone, he's the guy who said no one dies, for Christ's sake. Right. So if the power to know the future and the ability to use that power to save people exists, he would absolutely be the one to say it is your responsibility to use it. So I can, that makes sense to me. Iron Man's got uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America, and Star-Lord. You know, Star-Lord has always sort of believed I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. And Captain America, that's a guy who's always going to believe in free will and liberty you know, over pre-crime. So right. at least, okay, if you can believe that's where people are going to land, I've got some some hope here. But It's interesting, though, to see um, She-Hulk on, well, I mean, she's dead now anyway, but, um, which I think is kind of bullshit, but is, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's interesting to see her on Carol's side because in one of the previous prequel books, she was so unnerved by the idea that her her client, who granted was a criminal, was being being found guilty uh, because of perception of him rather than actual fact. Yeah, but to take a step back, if you believe Ulysses' power is correct and pure, then you know what he's going to do, and you can make a decision based on that. Well, that, and that's the the real question because it's a possible future; it's not the future. And but see that's uh, that's what I'm hoping will come up with this as a question. You know, is what Ulysses sees inevitable, barring intervention? Right. Because if it is, then you have no free will. This not only is going to happen for all intents and purposes, it has already happened. Yeah. You are going to do what he sees you doing. No matter whether you want to or not, unless somebody stops you, right? And that could be very interesting. And it, uh, it'll be curious to see how they they solve that, since they've taken telepaths off the table as a, a a means to exploring how his power works. Well, that's just a that's another. It's a plot point that has to be there because if you can read his mind, you can read his intentions. There needs to be a very real question of not only is what he's seeing accurate all the time, but are his intentions pure? Right. Because if his intentions are not pure, then he can say, oh, this thing is going to happen and influence other people's free will. Potentially. This could all turn into just a big goddamn punch him up with a fake Philip K. Dick idea sort of at its, you know, kernel. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always that possibility. Uh, you know, it, it, we could very well find out, you know, oh, you can't read his mind because he's being blocked because the fucking... I don't know, the collector is, you know, wants his infinity gauntlet. You know, it, Who that, knows? that'll be where it, it can go wrong. If it turns out that Ulysses being manipulated uh, and forced into certain courses of action or that he's really villainous and it's at that point it can really fall apart. But if they're serious about, okay, what's the nature of free will? That could be a really fucking interesting comic. Yeah, I... I mean, we, there's a lot of question marks about the kid because all we know is that he was overlooked and not paid attention to while he was a college student. Now, all of a sudden, when he says he has a vision, people pay attention. Yeah. So, yeah, his power may not be to have any vision at all. It may be to, I don't know. <laughs> I just I just realized now it doesn't make any sense. The Celestials actually did show up. So there's something going on there. But 
yeah, it's I, I've got a, I've got hope for this. That hope is tempered by Age of Ultron. That hope is tempered by House of M. And if this turns into another just, you know, oh, here's just sort of a big idea where stuff happens and we watch everybody run around in the face of that, I'll be the first one driving the keep Bendis away from major events for the rest of time. (laughs) Write a crime comic or two maybe and settle down and we'll let you come back in another few years and try it again. But if he pulls it off and it goes in the direction that I'm hoping it does, it could be a really good comic. Yeah. Uh, and again, with that said, it's also, uh, how are you telling me this story? Oh, with a zero issue and with something where if I couldn't get to my comic store on free comic day and they didn't have any uh, of the issues there, I don't really know what's going on. Right. Yeah, it, it, Just give me some fucking sequential issues and don't make me read a whole bunch of side issues to understand what's going on. Yes. So it's a simple concept that both of the big two don't seem to have fucking remembered since maybe Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> Just fucking give me the story. Motherfucker. Are, are you done? <sighs> I, I, I think so. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I make a mess. You did. You sure did. Uh, anything else on Civil War uh, 2 you want to talk about? No. All right. A little bit of a short episode this week, but it's not a terrible thing. Because, again, I could... Some of the notes I just crumpled up and threw away. I could have gone a lot longer on Watchmen, and I'm starting to realize now, this is not a hobby horse I want to drive into the ground. So I swear to God, I will not talk about it unless there's a specific new item of interest to talk about with Watchmen and DC Rebirth next week. And next week, unless all of them really kick ass, we're not going to do another uh, Rebirth burn down. We'll figure something out. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, anything else? Should we wrap it up? I think we can wrap it up. All right. Never sure where you find this particular episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. As I've said earlier, we are on Facebook. We're doing shit with it now. Yeah. So come and find us there. Uh, Facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. Come like our page. Yes. Or at least... Uh, come met sp- our page. Yeah. Don't spit on it. <laughs> it's your own computer. Don't spit on your own computer just because we happen to be there. Please. <laughs> Uh, we are on Twitter, at uh, Infinite Midlife is our handle. Mm-hmm. We are on Tumblr, crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. You can find us on iTunes, and if that is how you get your podcast, do us a favor. Give us a rating, give us a review. It does help new people find the show. We are on Google Play. We are on Stitcher. We are on TuneIn Radio. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network, and you can always reach us by email, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. I forget me. I always feel like I forgot something. You got everything. All right. This has been episode 116 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. I'm a well wisher in that I don't wish you any specific harm. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Good night.